Today is one of those sermons. I hate to start with a disclaimer. Okay. Those of you who have sensitive ears, bad words, you might want to get up now and go and Jim can't hear me in there. Those of you who are on Facebook or the website, you got sensitive ears, you might want to listen to another preacher for the next 30, 40 minutes. Okay? I, I warn you. And for those who do not know me,
on the subject of race relationships between black and white, looking at the past with the goal moving ahead to the future. But how many of you know there is a difficult conversation that we as blacks need to have with each other with the goal of moving ahead to the future? We also have to be honest where we have come from with what we have done and what we are doing. You see, we no longer live in which truth is actually truth. Two plus two can be five or whatever an individual believes it to be. We say, your truth of a four, and I have my truth of a truth for me is truth for me. And today's camp culture will not allow me to try to prove to you that two plus two really is four. If I try to do that, I am being hateful and intentionally trying to hurt you. I need to be silent to protect your right to hold the view that two plus two equals six. Now the prophet Jeremiah lived at a time when his people had rejected God's law. Poor people were being oppressed by their own people. They were being sold into slavery and at the end of seven years after they had paid their debt, they were supposed to be released. But the wealthier people wasn't releasing them, they were forcing them to remain slaves. Adultery and sexual immorality was happening all over the place. The people would talk about God, but they lived as though God did not exist. And they even encouraged each other, here, try out these new gods. For after all, they were saying, who is to say that the idol Baal or the goddess Ashtoreth is not just as much a real God as the God of Israel? The people were even sacrificing their babies and their children. These are God's people to a God called Molech by throwing them into the flaming fire. And they were saying, who was to say there was anything wrong with them killing their own children? What did God tell Jeremiah? God told Jeremiah, go and tell these people, if you do not repent and turn from your evil ways, I am going to destroy this temple, this city, and send you off into exile. You see, the people were under the false belief that as long as the temple in Jerusalem was there, God was okay with whatever else they did because God would not allow anything to happen to his temple. So Jeremiah spoke the truth concerning the past, the present, and the future. But cancel culture existed back then, 
And it's very interesting to me on what part of Jeremiah's message they decided to seize upon, but not the whole message. They did not go around telling anybody the part that says, repent and change. All they wanted to tell the people about was what was going to get the people riled up. And what they went on and said was, Jeremiah is saying this temple is going to be destroyed. Is that what Jeremiah said? I think Jeremiah said, if y'all don't change, this temple is going to be destroyed. You see, cancel culture back then was made up of the religious and political leaders of that day. And the people got angry when they heard Jeremiah was talking about destroying the temple. And so he was going to go tear the thing down himself. Some insisted that Jeremiah should be killed. What was it that Jeremiah was really guilty of that day? He was guilty of telling the truth about what God had told him to tell the people. I mean, you know, we're living at a time when simply telling the truth can get you into trouble. All right. Here goes one of my bad sections. Cover your ears. The word Negro originally came from a Spanish word meaning black. And slaves from Africa since they had black skin, became known as Negroes because they were black. Now, Negroes slowly became Negras to talk about the slaves in a negative way. And, and, and Negras became Niggers once you put the southern accent to it. And that became uh, a saying to put down black people completely. And niggers, thanks to Ebonics, became niggas to get around using niggers in our music. But it still means the same thing. Now, let me ask you guys something, and if you embarrass, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard somebody in your family call someone a nigger? How many of you laughed at it when they did it? How many of you have ever called or referred to some black people as niggers? When we talk, when we talk about niggers, isn't what we mean people who are of a lesser intelligence, people who are not on the same social level as we are, people who don't have the same refined culture or behavior patterns as we have, people that can't be trusted to do the right thing or do it in the right way. Isn't that what we meant? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, I don't know, but God created me 
From now on, we must use the inward instead of the forward. Was it a group of white people who decided this? Was it a group of black people who decided this? Any of y'all get contacted to get your opinion on it? Was it a corporation that decided this? Why did they think the worst word in the English language was nigger? You can call me a B-M-F-O-B-S-O-B. That's all right. Why? And why did they decide that nigga was all right in music and even give you a Grammy for the song destroy somebody's career over using the same word without a music beat behind it. You know, if I'm walking down the street and somebody says, hey nigga, I am just as offended as if I'm walking down the street, boom, ba doom boom, ba bop, bop, ba boom, boom, hey nigga, bop, boom, doom. I ain't no need me to get offended. He had music with that.
So do we want them to start saying, you got to use the, the G word? Can you imagine what our language is going to be like? Uh, J word, B word, K word. What in the world are you talking about? Some of us, though, we are even more sophisticated in how we hide the word. You know, some of us, if, if we can't go to the, uh, to the, to the, to the dealer, because we ain't got the money to pay that kind of fee, and we go to the local mechanic, you know, Billy down there who's working out in the back, now, we know Billy does not have the money to afford all that computerized equipment. And how many of you know your car is more computer now than it is anything? So Billy does his best with what he has, and if our car doesn't get fixed completely, what do we do? We don't admit that we was trying to save some money. We go and tell others, you know, I hate to say this. You know what's coming next. I hate to say this, but it was one of us that didn't fix my car right. It was one of our people. You know, we, we usually shake our head when we one of our people. One of our people, one of us. That's the new code word we have for the N-word. You know, we like to talk about racism with white people. But what about the classism we have toward one another? Now, suppose you had to choose between 20 new families coming to us from one of our wealthier suburbs, Beechwood or Pepper Pike, coming to our church, or 20 new families with kids coming to us from the projects down near Central and East 55th Street here in Cleveland. Which group would you prefer to have sent to our church? Now for some of us, I know it would not matter. But some of us are already thinking of the pros and cons of each. Do we really want to have all those baby kids running all over the church? And what do we mean by baby kids? That's another cold word we got for those little, you know what I'm talking about. Then it brings us to Jesus. What would be Jesus' choice to, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus' choice be for us? I think Jesus would say, who do you say I am? Because what we believe about who Jesus is, is going to determine how we see other people. And what it is we see first when we look at other people. The whole purpose in Jesus' coming was that we might know God. And to know God is to begin to see things and to see people from God's perspective. And to see them as God sees them. You know, I, I can't tell you 
what God saw when God looked at the slavery that went on in this country. I am sure God's heart was broken at the injustices that were done. But for some reason, God allowed his own people to be slaves in Egypt for 430 years before he brought them out of it. God was building a great nation out of the furnace of slavery and Egypt in the Bible. You know, when we talk about the suffering of the slaves, some people today want to talk about the reparations that are owed supposedly by white people. Now reparations is the idea that people should be paid for the suffering that another group of people caused them. For instance, if a nation went to war against another nation and the nation they attacked ended up winning the war, the nation that won the war could force the nation that started the war to pay for the war. That's called reparations. And some people want to introduce bills to have reparations paid to the black community today for the sufferings of the slaves yesterday. And when I hear stuff like that, I, 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 I'm just dumb. I ask questions. Okay, so if, if, if we go the plan of reparations, should Oprah and LeBron get anything? Should President Obama get anything? Uh, 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 should we also be paying the professional athletes? Or should we just pay the people on public assistance? Yeah, that's another talk. <laughs> I want to talk about reparations. But I want to talk about the reparations we as black people owe to our ancestors who were slaves. Don't we owe them something for what they endured in order for us to be where we are today as a group? Don't you know if they had all given up and just said, I'd rather die than endure this, we wouldn't be here today? Shouldn't we be making sure that we are passing life on in some kind of way to make their suffering count? to the slaves who were beaten and killed for trying to learn how to read or write or to the slave that was beaten because she tried to teach another slave how to read or write. Slaves who had a dream of an education that could lead to a greater freedom. What's wrong with us? that our dropout rates are anything less than 95% in any high school. Can you imagine a slave being the, uh, offered the chance to get a high school diploma or a college degree and the slave responding, well, I just need some time for myself. 
generation on to the next generation? Why is it that so many of us are more willing to show up at a child's basketball game than we are their parent-teacher's conference? Why are we as parents more likely to fill their heads with dreams of being in the NBA or the NFL than we are instilling a dream? Look, you, you, you need a backup plan, and we need to plan this backup plan where you got another good paying job, or you got to go into business for yourself. Now we, they're seven years old, and we already got to be the next greatest wide receiver that ever lived. What would we think of the slave who would gladly, for the master, go from one slave woman to another in order to get as many of them pregnant as possible for the master to be able to have more slaves? How many of us would think highly of that person? Yet why do we accept this behavior as normal today? with our sons having six kids by six and a half different women. Or our daughters having five kids by five different fathers. When are we gonna wake up and realize that these kids are heading into poverty? And poverty is a form of slavery in and of itself. To even suggest the idea of putting sexual restraints on anyone is considered judgmental in our society. You know, if you don't want to have kids, get a vasectomy. Get your tubes tied. You know what? For all you guys who just jumping from one day to another, spreading their seed all over the place. When I was, let's see, when I was, I got married, 23, 24. Now I'm married, and I got a wife, and um, we decided we're going to have one child by birth, and all the rest of the children are going to walk into our lives however God sends them. And then my wife, now we got an option here. Um, she could get her tubes tied or she could be on uh, birth control for the next 40 years. Or I can walk in and out of the doctor's office in about five minutes, get my vasectomy, and come on out. Guess which route we chose? I walked in there. I remember talking to the doctor. I don't even remember when it happened. All I know is I was on my way. But we as men, we, we, we don't want to do that. Suppose something happened and, and it won't. No, we'd rather destroy a whole bunch of other kids' lives so that we can keep doing what we want to do. What do we owe the slaves who were married and wanted to be faithful in their vows to each other? Yet they knew at any time 
The woman or the man could be forced into sexual relationships with others for the master's pleasure. Don't we owe them the dream of having descendants who are faithful to each other in marriage because they have the freedom to do so? What do we owe the slaves who had children together and desperately wanted to be together as a family, but they weren't allowed to get married? They weren't allowed to stay in the same household. They had to watch their children being sold off here, there, and everywhere, never to be seen again. Don't we owe them their dream of building families with a husband and a wife who are committed to each other and committed to being there together for their children? What do we owe the single slave woman who no doubt was used as just a pleasure tool at both the lust of the slave owners and probably even the lust of the other male slaves. You know, she had a dream of being a woman who was able to respect herself and was being respected by others. Shouldn't we have the same dream as single women? And since we have the freedom to make it happen, shouldn't we do that? Shouldn't we realize we don't have to be somebody's sidekick, somebody's uh, a hidden lover in order to be somebody? You're already somebody in God. Hold your head high and demand respect for yourself and from others. What do we owe the slave who was beaten for something we consider trifling by another slave who was ordered to use the whip to beat the slave and knowing that if he didn't beat him hard enough, he was subject to being beat himself. I think they both had a dream that no longer would somebody someday be able to cause them to inflict such pain on another human being in such a demeaning way. Don't we owe them their dream to the point where we stop killing one another in our community? How much pain should we be allowed to inflict on another person because we felt disrespected? What do we owe the slave? who died after spending day after day after day of his life or her life picking cotton. Yet they knew inside they had the mind of a doctor, an engineer, a scientist, a mathematician. But they were never given the opportunity to do anything else besides pick cotton. With our freedom, don't we owe them their dream by developing our minds and getting the best education we can with as many degrees as we can get? What would the slaves think if they could see us 
wasting our time playing video games in one hand, a joint or a beer in the other hand, talking about we waiting for the right job to come along. Or they hear us saying, you know, institutional racism is really holding us back while we changing the channel for another game. You know, we do our young people and our ancestors a great disservice when we claim racism is as bad in this country as it has ever been. That is a lie. You see, I'm old enough to remember when I went to the service station and I looked up there and saw men, women, on the side, color. And I still remember opening that door and I saw the most disgusting looking bathroom you ever seen in your life. Ain't nobody seeing no colored bathrooms today. I remember when I went to the movie theater and all of us got herded up in the balcony. You know, but they charged us the same thing to get in there. I don't think they ever realized the best seats really were up in the balcony. Our youth have no idea of the battles that were fought for them to have the opportunities they do today. Even opportunities they do not accept. What do we owe the slaves who were beaten because they dared to huddle together in order to worship the Jesus they knew as the liberator and the one who gave them purpose and dignity in life. They knew going to church on their own could result in a severe beating. They dreamed of being able to gather for worship in which they could sing and preach and teach and live their lives completely for God. So if God said, go here, they could go there. God said, do this, they could do that. Don't we owe them their dream of passing on the faith to the next generation of kids coming behind us by making sure our churches are strong and healthy with our presence and our service? I hear people all the time say, well, you know, I, I'm not going to bring my kids to church. I'm just going to let them grow up and, and decide for themselves. I mean, you know, you've already made a decision for them because they're looking at you. You know, again, if, if, if you are around me, you know I'm singing all the time. Well, a lot of times I've been thinking about my wife. And when I do, I go around singing this song, thinking of the time when love was really on my mind, and whatever, whatever. And you know what? My little two-year-old granddaughter, she came thinking about the time when love was truly. I didn't teach her that we almost all fell out laughing when she started singing. 
seen you go to church in 15 years. And they got all of Well, you know what? They got to go and try out the church. You've already shown them it ain't worth your time. But those slaves, because of their suffering and their pain, they risked their lives to have church. But we, because of our comfort and financial success, we think we have outgrown the need for church. Many a slave died with a hope looking for a better tomorrow because they had a faith in a God who was in control of the future. And they believed that this thing isn't going to go always because one day God's going to do something. We look back at the slaves and we want to weep at their suffering. And I think if the slaves were looking at us, I wonder how many of them would weep at all the wasted opportunities we have missed out on and all the pain and suffering we have inflicted on each other. We don't want to talk about those reparations. Do you know something? I thank God for every one of you who are paying reparations because you know you did not get to where you are by yourself. You are paying your reparations because you're making something of yourself and you are reaching back to help others. We got all kind of tremendous reparations givers in this church. I think of Jackie Rush, how dedicated she was to those children at Chambers Elementary School in East Cleveland. I think of Felicia Earl over in Garfield Heights. When they got kids that nobody else wants, guess who room they want to put them in? She knows how to love kids because of what she has gotten from Jesus Christ. Talk about reparations. Think of Walter Glenn going into Cuyahoga Valley uh, School. School didn't even know. This was a Christian school. They didn't really know they had a problem with prejudice. But he was able to show them, look, we, we, we need to do more than we are doing. And because of him, they got more black students in that school. But even more important than they got more black students, they got more white students who are now accustomed to understanding what black students are all about. And I can look all over this place and see those of you who have paid and are paying your reparations in the fields that you are in. I thank God that you're in church trying to share faith with a lost and disillusioned generation who are being told they no longer need Jesus. Why do you need Jesus when you can get high on drugs and have a good
quit feeling with sex. Jesus is a lot more than a good feeling. You know, God gives us some, some moments in our lives that, that we treasure forever. And, and one of those moments for me um, occurred, I think it must have been in the 90s. Pastor Toby and I were invited to do a stewardship conference in Mississippi by one of the Presbyterians there. And the conference was held at historic First Presbyterian Church. And that church was so old that it still had the balcony where the slaves were allowed to sit during worship. And I remember the night before we were to have worship, I went up and, and I sat in that balcony to see things from their viewpoint. And the next day, Pastor Toby and I were supposed to lead the service. And we did one of those messages where we were to preach together. And I kid you not, in that moment, Pastor Toby were I, and I were up there in the pulpit. I looked into that balcony. And in my spirit, I could see the faces of the slaves that used to sit up there. And I was saying on the inside, we made it, y'all! From the balcony down to the pulpit! Our in that moment were the reparations that meant the most to those slaves who had worshipped in that church. You see, the slaves wanted more than just freedom. They wanted life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But there is a price to know the life that Jesus intended for us to have. You see, if there is no change in the selfishness in the human heart, as much as we hate to admit it, there is little difference between our hearts today and the hearts of the slave masters years ago. We can still dehumanize each other. We can still shoot each other down like we're nothing but dogs. We can still treat people as though their lives have no meaning. That is why Jesus gives the same challenge to every generation. When he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Taking up our cross means dying to our selfish nature in order to truly love God and to love people. To love God is to obey God. And that's where we got a problem. We are not so sure we can have a good time if we choose to love God. You know, people don't leave church because somebody proved beyond a, 
Y'all doubt that Jesus did not rise from the dead and therefore the gospel is a lie. People leave the church because they want to do something that God said don't do. But Jesus had a warning for that group. Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life, I want to have me a good time, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Somehow gaining the world has meant more than forfeiting our soul. We think we can outgrow the need for Jesus Christ in our lives because we are beyond that. Really. That's just pride and arrogance. Let me ask you this. Why do so many of our stars, our athletes, our entertainers, and our celebrities keep coming back to tell us when it looked like they had it all, their lives were actually being wrapped with alcohol, cocaine, pills, and things we would rather not know about. Our temporary comforts and convenience are lying up to us about the reality that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. One day Jesus is coming back. And one day, we are going to die. That's going to be another one of those difficult conversations we're going to have to have. We grow up, we get educated, and we become ashamed of Jesus. He just isn't politically correct in our new circles. But he does give us this warning. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the angels. You know something? On that great day, when we're all gathered together, won't it be amazing to see those who live their lives as slaves being welcomed by Jesus because they were not ashamed and we who seem to have it all find ourselves with nothing because we were ashamed of who Jesus was and we chose to believe the lies. I know it's been a difficult conversation and I'll probably have a more difficult one next week. Let's pray.